2: Beautifully Broken, an inspiring memoir of a wife's physical, emotional, and spiritual struggles while helping her army husband recuperate from losing both of his legs while serving in Afghanistan. I'm Doug, anxious to spend some time and hear more of the story from Josh and Paige Wetzel, the book Beautifully Broken, An Unlikely Journey of Faith. So, everybody loves a story, especially a love story. Let's start with the two of you. And your love story, so uh, who made the first move in the relationship?
1: Um, I would say that was probably me oh, definitely <laughs> uh, I don't know I think it was more her, but uh, so we were playing uh we were at the same junior college together, I was playing baseball, and she was playing volleyball, and um you know, I went to some games, and you know, she kind of caught my eye, uh-huh,
3: and, uh-huh. Uh,
1: And uh, we hung out with some of the same friends. And so, you know, one night when we were hanging out, I was, you know, flirting, (laughs) doing my thing, you know. (laughs) Uh, The story behind the story is that the next day she texted my friend to get my phone number. But she didn't realize that my friend was sitting in front of me when she (laughs) asked that. And then she texted me and said, who's this? And I said, who's this? She tried to act like I put my number in her phone, but that wasn't the truth.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So Paige, Josh had had at least pretty good game going on there. There was this, this mutual attraction.
0: Yeah, it was mutual for sure.
2: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, walk us through a little bit. I know we're, we're we're talking about this book that's called Beautifully Broken, An Unlikely Journey of Faith. And so uh, to take us on somewhat of your journey, there's a mutual attraction. Also, how do things line up in terms of marriage and military and some of that timeline?
0: Um, well, so Josh and I dated all through college, and um, we kind of got to a crossroads in our relationship in college. Uh, basically, I was really like seeing the light at the end of the tunnel with my academic career, my athletics career, and uh, Josh was not. He was <laughs> he was uh, doing a great job in his social life, but um, not much else. And uh, we kind of just got to this point where I was like, you know, I think. We're going in two different directions, and I feel bad because I feel like I'm trying to force you to do things the way I'm doing them, and you clearly don't want to, so I think we just need to kind of go our separate ways. And um, it was during that time, and that, I mean, it was pretty devastating at that point. we have been dating about three years, and um, but that was the point where Josh decided to finally... um, I mean, listen to God, truly, mm. and um, join the military, and he, we hadn't talked in a while, and then one day he reached out to me and just said, you know, um, I just want you to know I'm, I've signed up for the Army. I've not told uh, my family or anything, and um, I just wanted to let you know first, and I was like, okay, you know, that has nothing to do with me, which, you know, <laughs> haha. here I am. <laughs> here we are. And, uh, but uh, but it, at that point, it was 2009, and things were really kind of crazy in Iraq, and we were really making big moves into Afghanistan. And um, so we were very much at war, and um, his family was very concerned, and they had a lot of questions and why are you doing this? And I just really felt like nobody was in his corner about it. Mm. And that's kind of what rekindled our relationship because I just thought, you know, I just reached back out to him and I was just like, you're absolutely doing the right thing. And, you know, you're taking, um, you're taking control of your life for the first time since being an adult and I'm here for it and I support you. And, We ended up getting back together, and then, um, let's see, about, uh, we got back together in the summer of 2009, and then he went to basic training January of 2010, and that really, you know, Josh went to, like, the old school basic training cycles where, like, you couldn't call each other, you know, Mm -hmm. we had to write Mm -hmm. letters to each other, and, um, and that really got us in a position of, like, we either need to get married or break up, <laughs> you know, because this is, this is too much of a commitment to, um, you know, just kind of do the boyfriend-girlfriend thing. So right after basic training, Josh went to airborne school. We got engaged right after I graduated from Jacksonville State. and um, And then we got married in december of 2010 um and then josh went to his unit in august of 2011. uh and he he was based out of jblm which is um in washington um fort lewis it's also known as and um we moved there in august and he deployed with them in march Mm -hmm. Of 2012 and was injured May 31st of 2012.
2: Oh, wow. So just a couple of months of being over there.
0: Oh, yeah. Like we, we, um, we had only lived together when we moved to, um, to Washington. So we had literally only been roommates for about six months. And that injury took place when we had been married about 14 months. So, Um, yeah, we didn't know what we were doing at all. Um, but he, yeah, he was there for about three months when he got injured.
2: So I'm fascinated here then to understand all of the dynamics, which is obviously the messages and things that you're bringing out in this book. So what, what was it like, uh, when he's first over there and deployed in terms of worry and wonder? I mean, the relationship being so new and now you're so apart, how are you juggling that?
0: Yeah, that was definitely tough because Josh was with an infantry unit, and we knew we had had a couple of meetings um, at Fort Lewis just to kind of talk about this is where we're going, and it's very important that you keep this stuff confidential. This is what communication is going to look like. And it was a very um, PG way of saying this place is very remote and very dangerous. Mm. And um, he, Josh deployed to Mushan, Afghanistan, which is known as the birthplace of the Taliban. Mm. And um, it's very primitive. Like, the people there don't have running water. Um, They've never had electricity, nothing like that. And so um, it was a, uh, it was almost back to, like, how we had to live when he was in basic training. Josh and I got to talk to each other. Uh, for about 15 minutes a week, and um, it was a very vicious cycle because we used to get blackout communication emails when, whenever anyone got injured or killed mm. in the battalion, and so it would be like you get a you get an email that says there's communication blackout for 48 hours, so you're not going to hear from anyone over in Afghanistan for 48 hours, and that gives the military time to reach out to the families, make sure that they figure it out first and nobody finds out on Facebook or Mm, anything like mm. that that something happened to their family member, and then you get a follow-up email saying, you know, loss of a soldier or injury sustained you know last Tuesday or whatever and it kind of gives you a quick rundown of of what happened without giving too much detail and then Josh would get back to base and then we would he'd call me and so it was just this like big elephant in the room and we're both sitting there thinking this is a 15-minute phone call and how do we want to spend it you know and it was our goal was to just continue to encourage each other. I did not want him to worry about anything going on back home. And um, so I was always trying to be very encouraging and uplifting and that kind of thing. But in the back of my mind, it's like, you know, something bad happened literally every time they went out. And so, you know, I just, it was just that thing we couldn't talk about, you know, and, um, and so When he got injured, by the time he got injured, I was not surprised. I mean, I just, Mm. I hate to say that, Mm. but I really was just, I mean, they had lost so many people um, at that point that I just truly wasn't surprised. It was just kind of like, all right, tell me how bad it is, um, rather than kind of feeling that feeling of denial. Um, When I got the phone call, I was certainly wanting to make sure it was him. Um, So I gave the social security number over and over just to make sure. Mm -hmm. But, um, but yeah, it, it just, it didn't surprise me at that point. Um, So it was, it was tough to kind of know what kind of attitude to take. And it was a lot of like pretending everything's fine when it wasn't. And, and it, uh, I don't know if it was a, another way we could have done it.
2: Well, I'm curious to hear um, from Josh maybe to sort of recap what was actually happening that involved the injury and then to hear how you heard about it and reacted to that page. So what was what was going on uh, for you, Josh, that led to the injury?
1: Um, yeah, so basically our main threat where we were um, in Afghanistan was improvised explosive devices, which is um, just essentially fancy way to say a bomb. Um, but usually they are, uh, pressure plate, um, driven. So mm-hmm. it's usually like two pieces of wood with two, two pieces of foam, be- between them. And then when you step on it, it completes a circuit that is linked to a battery and a bomb and, um, or, you know, a jug with explosive in it. Mm-hmm. And when you step on it, it completes the circuit igniting that, the bomb. And so, um. Basically everywhere we went, when we when we got to Afghanistan, it was kind of, um, kind of a um, like drinking out of a fire hose in the in the training aspect. Uh, you know, we trained one way um, in the military. It's um, you know, it's very um, uncommon to walk anywhere in like a single file line. Um, and when we got to Afghanistan, we realized pretty quickly that that's what we were going to have to do. Um, and every patrol would have to be led with a metal detector. Um, and so, um, you know, early on we had a couple of injuries and, um, you know, a couple of our strikers that got, um, hit IEDs. And so, um, you know, we came together as team leaders. I was a team leader and, um, just kind of discussed how we were going to handle it and, um, we decided as team leaders that we would take over the mind detectors because we had originally trusted them with some lower enlisted guys so that the team leaders could focus on, um, you know, movement and um, just kind of paying attention to the mission. Um, and so we decided as team leaders that we were going to take them over. You know, a lot of us had um, a little more experience, a little more um, to lose, and we're going to be naturally a little more careful. Um, and so... Um, I became the main guy with the metal detector and, um, you know, I always tell the joke, you know, contrary to popular belief, like I was really good at finding them. I was actually 33 and one, just the one, you know, jumped out and got me that one
3: time. Mm, mm. Um,
1: but, um, so, you know, that was our biggest threat. Well, um, you know, around the time that I got injured, we got, um, you know, orders that we were going to. Uh, you know, start like a three-day clearing mission mm-hmm. across our area of operations, from the east side to the west side. Um, and it was going to involve a couple of different units um, that weren't necessarily in our area, but they were attached to us, and um, you know, we were going to essentially be on a line from north north side to the south side of our area of operations, and we were going to clear all the way across until we pushed everything, every bad guy, out of the area of operations, and so. Um, on the, what would have been the last day um, of our patrol. Uh, we were walking along and um, walking up next to a wall, uh, walls on my left side and um, you know, being very careful. We come up to a road that was directly in front of us and um, you know, I look on the road and there's two lines of rocks on the road and um, it's not usually something like you see in nature um, and so um, my spidey senses kind of went off a little bit. And, um, you know, I radio, radioed back to my leadership like, hey, I'm going to take, take a, be a little more careful going across this road. I'm going to mark it really well so everybody knows where to go. And, um, you know, my leadership was fine with that. And so I took my time, marked it so everybody knew where to go across safely. And then we continued on across a field um, to, the um, a low spot in a wall where we were going to cross the wall, um, and I was clearing in front of the wall, um, and um, nothing went off. And then, as I re- went to reach to the other side of the wall, is when I stepped on the IED, um, and um, I my metal detector didn't pick it up because it didn't have any metal content in it at all. It was um, all carbon-based um, IED. And so, um, metal detector didn't pick it, but, you know, I remember, um, you know, everything from, um, flying through the air to landing on the ground. And, um, you know, I'm a very, I, uh, I don't have a healthy fear of anything. Mm. And so, um, you know, like I'm, you know, critters don't bother me, snakes, all that stuff. And, uh, jumping out of planes was cool. Getting shot at wasn't that bad. I kind of, you know, I was... Um, you know, during firefights, I, you know, I thought more clearly than I ever had before, you know, I was like hyper-focused during those times. And so when I stepped on the bottom, like I never had a fear of dying. Like I was laying on the ground and my first thought was one, is anybody else around me injured? And two, um, you know, my medic's going to have to come work on me. And my medic was my best friend and, um, you know, he's a naturally shaky guy Um, and you could imagine watching your best friend step on an IED and losing both of his legs, you're going to be a little more shaky than normal. And so um, my first thoughts were, like, how do I calm him down? Wow. Uh, And so, um, you know, I really focused on, like, I'm going to, like, I got to joke around because I got a very, you know, I got a weird sense of humor, (laughs) you know. So I'm going to, I joke, you know, I was joking around the entire time talking about, you know, everything's gonna be okay. Essentially talking him off the ledge. Wow. You
2: know? Wow. Uh,
1: tell him everything's gonna be okay and um you know, I'm gonna get those cool running legs like the guy was <laughs> gonna run in the Olympics <laughs> oh <gosh>. and I um,
3: <laughs>
1: uh, even you know, I talked about barbecues when they got home and it was uh kinda wild honestly.
2: Wow, to have the presence and wherewithal of doing that, like how do you I'm I'm am i I'm thinking you're screaming and you're in so much pain, so what a mental fortitude, like, wow. Right,
1: yeah, I I mean, honestly, I think that, um, you know, God kind of blessed me in that area without that healthy fear of things, you know, and I've got a rather high pain tolerance. I'm not going to say, like, I wasn't in pain at all because at one point, like, I felt like, you know, like I was on fire, like my skin was Mm, burning, and mm -hmm. I, you know, I asked them to dump water on me because I felt like my skin was burning. Um, But, yeah, I mean, like, my... Like, even when they when they strapped me to the litter to, to put me on the helicopter, like, I asked them if they could um, leave my right, out, right arm unstrapped, which they're not supposed to do, but, you know, I'm an athlete, grew up an athlete, and, um, you know, what do, what do they do, what do athletes do when you get carted off the field after an injury? Like, you put your fist in the air and let them, everybody know you're okay, you know? Mm-hmm. And, that's, you know, being the person I am, that's what I wanted to do, to let all my guys know, like, I'm okay, you guys can finish this mission, and I'm going to be all right. Wow. Yeah, my my
0: experience with that injury was not like that. <laughs> um, so, I get this phone call, and it takes about three or four phone calls with the Department of the Army to understand that, like, I'm talking to someone over in Quantico. Like, it, this is not someone that's in Afghanistan. Nobody that has actually like laid eyes on Josh. Mm-hmm. And so, we noticed that, um, you know, I'm asking all these questions, and they're, you know, kind of relaying all this information. And at first, um, we knew his legs were gone but they told us that he had two broken arms and a possible C4 break in his neck. And Josh's mother's a nurse and, you know, a 4 break is paralysis, you know? And so I'm sitting here thinking, you know, Oh, and they also told us he was unconscious from the blast. And so I'm thinking like, you know, your imagination goes wild and you're just kind of thinking like, he's going to wake up and not realize what happened to him and all these things. and, um, and, uh, so I'm just distraught. We're trying to, at this point, I'm still living in Washington state and I'm trying to get back to the East coast because I know that they're going to take him to Walter Reed hospital in DC. And my plan was to go to Alabama where we're from and just spend that time with my family. And, um, and then whenever we kind of got the clearance that he was, you know, leaving Germany, he would go from uh, Kandahar to Germany, and then when he got stable in Germany, they'd bring him to the U.S., and um, I was going to, you know, just hang out in Alabama until we figured out when that was, and this entire time, I mean, I'm just, I'm thinking of all these horrible things and just kind of staring into space and can't really, like, I can't focus, you know, and then um, I'm on my flight from alabama to um washington dc and i just i don't know what made me do it but i just checked facebook because i knew that it was all over the news like everybody was trying to like call me and get a quote Mm, from me and stuff i was like i am not in the mood for this you know (laughs) trust me you do not want to hear what i have to say right now but um but uh I looked on Facebook and one of his guys has had messaged me and they were like, Hey, so I talked to Josh and he had a journal that he wanted me to send you. Should he ever get injured? And my mind just started spinning because I was like, what do you mean? I was told that he was knocked out from the blast. And the minute I said that he was like, Oh God, no. Like he was, talking and joking and getting on everybody's nerves and saying all this (laughs) random stuff. And, uh, you know, and that was the moment that I was just like, you know, I am going to get my husband back, you know, and at that point, so many people were talking about his legs and his ability to walk and all this other stuff. And I, I couldn't even think about that. I was like, the guy is going to be brain damaged or he's going to be paralyzed or whatever. And to just know that I was going to get the same person back was, I just, I never worried about not having legs ever again after that.
2: Wow. Wow. I mean, my mind is going in 50 million directions, but I'm curious then what what leads to the book and wanting to share. Like, what is what was the genesis of wanting to chronicle this, and what is your, your hope and takeaway for the folks that read it?
0: Uh, well, originally I wrote the book, and it was solely to—I um, was just thinking about our two girls. We have a seven-year-old and a almost four-year-old, and they were both born after Josh lost his legs and— you know, at some point, we're going to have to sit them down and tell them the truth about what happened. Mm. And right now, we say things like robot legs and things like that. And we've got we've got a lot of friends that have robot legs, robot arms, all that stuff. But at some point, we're going to have to, you know, say, someone tried to kill your dad, you know. And um, I was so afraid that by the time um, they were ready to hear about all of that, Um, that I would have just forgotten it. And so as I'm writing this book, um, it's literally just chronological order, but then I'm thinking about my daughters, and I'm I'm, just—so I write, like, the events, and then I write down what what God did for us, you know, and it was really like, please don't miss what the Lord did here, you know, and um, as I'm writing it, I'm just kind of like, man, you know, everybody could benefit from this because our story is kind of unique in the fact that like we don't just talk about Josh's um, Josh's deployment, his injury, and his recovery. We also go about two and a half years after we got out of the hospital where. We were, quote, unquote, supposed to be healed Mm, and whole mm, better. mm
3: -hmm. And
0: um, that was when we really, that was some of the most painful wandering that I think we've ever done as a couple. Because it was just this whole, like, you know, we blamed being at Walter Reed Hospital on why we couldn't get our lives going. And then when we finally got into the civilian world, I tell people it was like going from kindergarten to college. I mean, it was just, we went from a place where everybody was like us to a place where nobody was like us. And we, we tried to just blend in, you know, like, oh, you know, yeah, we've been in this hospital for two years, but don't worry. It's not, it's not going to hold us up. It's not going to keep us from doing anything. And, um, we really got to a point where, um, We weren't going to take time to help veterans. We weren't going to um, talk about the faith-based side of what we went through at Walter Reed. And I just feel like God sat up there and was like, huh, so I brought you through all that
3: (laughs) for it to (laughs) never
0: be spoken about again. You know, and so that really... Pushed us. I mean, we got to a pretty dark place as a couple and as individuals, and um, that really caused us to um, come to a crossroads where we just made the decision that we were going to get serious about our spirituality. We were going to, like, not get involved with our church, but invest in our church, like, be, be people that our church—and I'm talking like the big C church, not— our church building, but, you know, being the hands and feet of Jesus six uh, the other six days a week, you know, and um, we were going to commit to that, and um, we ended up getting baptized together, and it was just such a, um, it really brought us back to uh, finding new purpose in something that happened in 2012, and I think it's, it's a parallel to what the Bible is sometimes. You know, sometimes you read a Bible verse and, in one season, and then you read it in a different season, and it just hits you in a completely different way, and you find new meaning in it. And I think that that's, you know, that's kind of what we're discovering, is that as long as we continue to, to seek what God would have us to do with this story He'll always give us a new person that can be reached by it. And so um, so that's what we've tried to commit to. And in doing that, um, as we wrote the book and we passed it off to a publisher, um, she did a great job of, of turning it into a story, not just like a list of events. Um, but then she encouraged Josh to put his voice in there, and um, that was – a big step for Josh because he had to talk about his feelings. He kept wanting to give reports of what went on in Afghanistan and during his recovery. And our publisher just had to keep saying, Josh, we know what happened. We want you to tell us how you felt. When it was mm-hmm.
3: Happening.
0: Mm-hmm. And so Josh was uh, really having to dig real deep, weren't you? <laughs>
2: so it's a good uh stretch and grow for everyone and i mean i've always said and i'm a firm believer that god puts us through things not only for what uh he wants to teach us but that when we're on the other side we're able to help others so uh kudos right. josh for busting out of your comfort zone and for Paige, the two of you putting this all together and and bringing it to uh impact uh connecting with so many people i appreciate the time and sharing the heart and uh Look, looking forward to what God's going to do um, with this book and 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 your uh, careers and lives beyond that. So, thank you very much for the time.
0: Thank you. Thank you. We've enjoyed this.